Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. Uh, so let's see how we're doing, shall we? You ready for a bit of a checkup today? Wow, somebody said amen. I heard somebody say amen. So the Apostle Paul, in the first letter of our New Testaments, that is 1 Thessalonians, which letter the Apostle Paul said was to be read in all the churches, by the way, because the first century church didn't have the New Testament as we know it, right? They didn't have this collection of 27 books until like the third century for 250 odd years. They didn't have the New Testament. So the only Bible the early church had was the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament. And it wasn't until about 20 years after Jesus ascended into heaven that they even had these letters from the apostles, like 1 Thessalonians, which we read this morning, which they then copied and kept before passing them on to the next church. And it was these collections of manuscripts, these letters, which became what we know as the New Testament. And so because the early church didn't have specifically Christian scriptures, they were instructed to read these letters from the apostles out loud in church as a part of their worship, which is one of the reasons we do it. And the Bible, because of illiteracy, and because of the cost of a manuscript, the Bible was a book that was meant to be read out loud to the church. The Bible as a book for personal devotions is a historical innovation. It's contingent on people being able to read and being able to afford to buy one. Which is why the Apostle Paul told the church to do what, it, what he did. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. Again, when the early church received the letters, they were told to have them read out loud to the church. And I was thinking, as I thought about that particular instruction that we read this morning, I was thinking and wondering, I wonder what Christianity in America would look like if the churches were to follow this particular instruction more faithfully and just gathered to read the Bible. What would that look like? Just reading the Bible together. And I, I should point out, in this case, the Apostle Paul was evidently pretty serious about it. I mean, we read in the New International Version translation this morning, Paul saying, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. That's what he said in our NIV translation. But other translations of the Greek here of this same verse are a little more forceful. I tell you very seriously on the Lord's behalf, read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. I solemnly charge you in the name of the Lord that this letter be read. I adjure you by the Lord that you have this letter read to the brothers and sisters. And I'm not even sure I know what adjure means, so that must be pretty serious. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read. By the Lord's authority, I order all of you to have this letter read. Well, well, evidently they were to read Paul's letter to everyone. Now, this instruction to read these letters written by the apostles out loud in church was said in other places as well. I mean, Paul wrote to the churches of Colossae, after this letter has been read to you, make sure, see to it, that it is also read in the church of the Laodice Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So that was what was going on. They were just sharing the letters. 
And the writer of the book of Revelation even declared that the one who read that letter out loud would receive a blessing. In the third verse of the very first chapter, John wrote, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So that was the custom in the first century. And it really was the custom, I can safely say, for the first 1,700 years of the church's life. When followers of Jesus gathered for worship, they read the written word out loud to the church. Of course, in doing this, in reading scripture out loud in the church, the church was only following the example of our Lord, who, when he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, went on the Sabbath day into the synagogue, as was his custom. This wasn't a one-off. This is what he did. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, which he then read to the congregation. So the public reading of scriptures was expected in that first century church when the world didn't know much about the Christian faith. Indeed, it was more than expected. It, it was demanded, evidently, right? So we're good, right? We did what the Apostle Paul told us to do. We've read the letter that Paul sent to the churches of Thessalonica, and we did it out loud. But I was thinking, in light of the Apostle Paul's insistence that the entire church together hear the written word of God, I thought it might be good to spend a little more time with what the Apostle Paul wrote. I thought it might be good to do a little bit of an assessment of the instruction we just heard. Because what we read in 1 Thessalonians 5 was what was expected of the followers of Jesus. And because what we read in 1 Thessalonians 5 was what is expected of the followers of Jesus, I thought it probably wouldn't hurt to take some time this morning to take an accounting to see how we're doing, all right? Now, granted, we don't typically do this on a Sunday morning, but again, in light of how serious the Apostle Paul was about having this instruction read to the church, I thought it might be good to see how we're doing. So, there are 14 separate instructions here in these 11 verses in pretty short order. Let's see how we do. And if you're really serious about it, you could even take a connect card and keep track. All right? Let's get really serious and let's measure it. So for each one of them on a scale of 1 to 10, let's see how we're doing with these instructions. Again, if you're really serious, you might want to take a connect card and write it down. With one being, yeah, no, not happening much, really not happening. That one's not me. And 10 being, I am nailing it. I couldn't do it better. All right? So one being pathetic and 10 being holy. How's that? Now, we can do it individually or collectively. That is, we can do it silently or out loud. How about you want to do it? You want to do it out loud? I saw a no. I didn't hear an amen on that. Okay, so we'll just keep it to ourselves. So here's what the Apostle Paul wrote in the letter that he mandated be read in all the churches. Thessalonians 5.12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, and before we go any further, you see the, is that an ellipsis, the three periods? Uh, full disclosure, when we read this passage this morning, I skipped verses 12 and 13. And if you weren't following in your Bible, you would know that if you're relying on the screens. But there are really 15 different admonishments. But I skipped the first one, and I'm kind of glad I did, and you'll understand why I'm glad I did in just a minute. Um, here's the one I skipped, and it was accidental. It really was. After we were commanded to read this letter, I skipped two verses, right? Here's what we didn't read this morning. 
Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. That's what Paul wrote, first thing after, after, first thing. Now the reason I'm glad I inadvertently skipped this instruction about honoring those who care for you in the Lord, I realized that if I had you assess how well you were doing in that regard, that could be just a little bit self-serving, right? Ah, now I know why he wanted us to do a little assessment of how we're doing. He wants to be treated better. <laughs> Emphasis, evidently. Well, I will know. I promise you, when I began preparing the message this week, honestly, I just missed it. I skipped right over it. And it was only after reviewing the text and what I wrote that I realized that I missed the first one. But I also want to say, I'm going to say, that you don't need to assess yourself on that one. We can skip that one. This church has been nothing but kind to us. This church has, other pastors would love to pastor a church with the congregation we have here. This is a good church. This is a good church with good people, earnest people. And I also am very aware that um, it is your grace that we receive. So we're skipping that one, going around on the next one, all right? So this is what the Apostle Paul wrote next. After making sure we were at peace with our pastors, he wrote this, live in peace with each other. All right? So let's do that one. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being, nope, I don't, and with 10 being, I couldn't be better, how are we doing with living at peace with our brothers and sisters? Put a number in your head. Yeah, tough one right out of the gate, isn't it? Right away, who comes to our minds are all those folks we're not at peace with. So what's your number? Want to say it out loud? Okay, we'll keep it to ourselves. Next one, First Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, warn those who are idle and disruptive. I be we beg you, Warn those who are idle. I exhort you. Again, another not optional. And I wasn't sure if this instruction was one or two. I mean, warn those who are idle and then also warn those who are disruptive. If those were two things, was this two different instruction? But in the Greek, it's one word, which means both. Basically, it means warn those who are irresponsible and who by virtue of their lack of discipline are lazy and therefore then cause problems. That's what Paul's talking about here. According to Paul, in this letter that was to be read to all the brothers and sisters, the Christian community was not supposed to indulge but admonish those who were that way. Idle and for that reason disruptive. So on a scale of 1 to 10... How are we doing with gently correcting those who don't find something to do and who therefore cause problems? Scale of 1 to 10, how, we do that? how, how are we on that one? Yeah, who does that? I mean, who does any kind of admonishing these days? But what Paul is addressing here, and what's true, is Christians aren't supposed to be divisive or contentious or argumentative. We're not supposed to be stirring the pot. We're not supposed to be busybodies. We're supposed to, according to Paul in, the first, in an earlier chapter in this book, we're supposed to lead a quiet life, minding our own business and finding something useful to do. 
which means that those who don't mind their own business and who are idle and who therefore are disruptive, we're supposed to tell them to stop it. Well, who does that? Who can do that? Evidently, our love for others' well-being is supposed to be greater than our need for them to like us. <sighs> so that's another tough one. What's your number there? How good are you at admonishing those who disrupt the peace of the church? Three? Seven? Next one. First Thessalonians 5.14. Encourage the disheartened, comfort the discouraged. I think we can take a breather on that one. I don't think that's a hard one. I mean, who doesn't love to encourage those who are disheartened and who doesn't love to comfort the discouraged, right? But it, what it does require, however, for us to fulfill this one is to know who among us needs a word of encouragement. It requires us to know who among us needs to be comforted. So we have to be involved enough in the life of the community to know who to encourage and who to comfort. And, and before you assess yourself, and I, I do need to warn you as, as we move through these that there's kind of a temptation with this one, but probably with all, some of the others, because I think the temptation when we're doing this, instead of evaluating whether we encourage or comfort others, the temptation, I think, would be for us to assess others on how well they are encouraging and comforting us. So we don't want to be thinking, oh, I hope someone else listens to this one. That would be to miss the point here. We're supposed to ask whether or not we are encouraging, comforting others. And here's what else is true. When we are tending to others, we tend to forget about whether or not others are tending to us. So leaving that aside, on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing with encouraging the disheartened and comforting the discouraged? How are we doing? Seven, eight, nine, got some, anybody, any tens? I am so good at that one. Want to continue? First Thessalonians 5.14, help the weak. Help the weak. Help those who are close to falling. Help the weak. And to clarify it, I, I want to say this. What that means is don't disdain the weak and don't critique the weak and don't judge the weak, and don't ignore the weak, and don't abandon the weak. No, help those who don't have the strength to keep going. Come alongside the faltering, the feeble, the ones without the strength to go on. And again, this, like the previous one, presumes to, we know others well enough to know when they might need someone to come alongside with some strength. Evidently, we're supposed to be paying attention well enough to notice when some others might need some help. So on a scale of 1 to 10... How are we doing with coming alongside those who don't have the strength to keep going? How are we doing on that one? Scale one to 10. I want us to do it. Put a number in your head if you're not writing it down. Debbie, Debbie's such a good wife. She held up her card. She's writing it down. And, she, and she's listened to me for like 40 years. All right, you ready for the next one? It gets better. This is the best one of all, I think. Be patient with everyone. Yeah, me too, right? That would have been another good one to skip. I wish I had skipped that one. Everyone? Only as... Okay, here, here's the deal. Only as patient with others as God has been with you. 
I know, sorry, I, I wrote, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that was, was kind of mean, wasn't it? It's true. On a scale of one to 10, how are we doing with being patient with just everyone? What's your number on that one? You wanna say that one out loud? Oh, we got a zero here in the front row, wow. Fortunately, he's close to the altar, so we're good. <laughs> Uh, here's the next one. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good, what is good for each other and for everyone else. No paybacks. Christians re don't, do not return evil for evil. We forgive. And we don't do anybody harm ever. We do good to others. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how are we doing with doing what is good for each other regardless of how they are to us? And to, be, to be honest, honest, I don't know, this, that's the Christian witness, folks. Love those who love you, pagans do that. Love those who don't love you, only Christians do that. Love those who don't love you. So what's your average so far? We've done six so far. How about your average? On an average, I'm total, total woman, divide by six, that's your average. I'm wanting you to do this. Put numbers in your head. Is anybody else wishing that the Apostle Paul didn't insist that this letter be read out loud to all the brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, it gets better, ready? 1 Thessalonians 5.16, ready? Rejoice always. Rejoice always. That one got its own verse. Two-word verse, rejoice always. It missed being the shortest verse in the Bible by a couple of, a couple of uh, letters. On a scale of 1 to 10, how are we doing with that one? Rejoicing always. Should we do that one out loud? Well, there's a, there's a second next, there's a second two-word instruction that got its own verse. Pray continually. First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray continually. Pray constantly, pray without ceasing, and in the Greek it's pray without interruption. Evidently, the Apostle Paul had a more comprehensive view of prayer than we do. Evidently, he thought it was more than monologue and petition. Evidently, he thought it was about relationship. Always be in conversation with the Lord. Live conscious of his presence every moment of every day. Be always praying. Can I, I want to say, I want to stop here. Folks, the, most, the single most revealing activity regarding the health of our relationship with the Lord is our prayer life. The single most revealing activity regarding the health of our relationship with the Lord is our prayer life. If you want hard evidence of the nature of your relationship with the Lord, ask yourself how constant is your prayer life? How often do you give your Lord your undivided attention? Amen. How often do you spend in the presence of the Lord? We wouldn't think much of a marriage if the spouses never talked or never spent any time with each other or only spent time with each other when they were with a crowd. And it's the same with the Lord. I have come to the conclusion that our Lord is the definition of unrequited love. 
loving someone without it being returned. And I will say this, I don't care how pointless prayer seems at time or that we don't really know how to do it, if we love the Lord, we will learn. No one knows how to be married until they are, but if we love our spouses, we learn how to be married. And I am convinced that the only way this world will ever change in the direction of the kingdom is if followers of Jesus begin praying the way Jesus did. If Christianity is anemic, it's because the prayer life of the church is anemic. And we ought not to complain about the world if we're not praying for it. We ought not to complain about anything if we're not praying for whatever it is we're complaining about. I mean, we ought to live as if we believe God answered prayer. And I've asked the staff to begin each Sunday around the altar at 8.30. We used to do it before COVID, then we stopped, and then when we went to two services, we stopped, and we have reintroduced it. And I am asking, expecting the staff to begin each Sunday around the altar at 8.30. And that's another game changer. You can join us if you like. And the sanctuary is open for prayer from 7.30 until 4.30, and I'm not letting it go. If you want to learn how to pray, this is a good place. And if you cannot make it here, which many can't, then please make a sanctuary in your home. Please make a sanctuary in your home. Make a place of prayer in your home. There's one person in this church who prays in the closet because that's what Jesus said to do. It's a walk-in closet, so there's room. But they go in there where it's private and quiet, and they pray. So on a 1 to 10 scale, how are we doing with praying continually? Well, Brad, just speak for yourself there, okay, buddy? But you may be speaking for one or two others. Fairness. One more, of this trifecta along the same lines as the last two, in addition to rejoicing always, praying continually, the Apostle Paul wrote, give thanks in all circumstances. And again, not again, maybe it doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to clarify it. Not give thanks for all circumstances. That is not the Christian response to evil. We don't give thanks for evil. We don't give thanks for bad things. God is not the author of evil. We don't give thanks for everything that happens. No, some things we mourn happening. Some things we lament happening. No, it is give thanks to our God in all circumstances, which means no matter what, we're still thankful for the good, even in the middle of the suffering, which means that we believe that God can redeem even the most evil, that we believe in God's overarching providential care, and we believe in the inherent goodness of God, which enables us and empowers us to live thankfully in the middle of lousy circumstances. That's what that means. So we're to be constantly thankful and constantly prayerful and constantly rejoicing. And it occurred to me there's probably a relationship between those three things. If we did any one of them more constantly, we'd probably do all three of them more consistently. So we're to be as constantly thankful as we are constantly prayerful as we are to be constantly rejoicing. Yes, because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, says the Apostle Paul. What's God's will? Do this. I don't know what God's will is for my life. Yeah, you do. It's this. 
Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. On a scale of 1 to 10, how are we doing with being thankful in all circumstances? How are we doing with being thankful? Anybody want to do that one out loud? This is really going to cramp my style, just for the record. Give thanks in all circumstances? Yeah. So what's your average now? How did the, la how, how did the last four, do what did the last four do to it? And there's four more. Ready? Don't quench the spirit. Don't treat inspired messages with contempt. Evaluate them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. On a scale of one to ten, how are we doing on those? Listening to the spirit. How well do we listen to the spirit? How well do we heed inspired messages? How well do we hold on to the good and how well do we reject every kind of evil? This is the instruction that the Apostle Paul insisted every brother and sister in Christ hear out loud in church. So what do you think? How'd we do? Anybody get a 10 out of 10 on all of them? I'm so relieved nobody raised their hand for your sake, because we're not skeptics, but we'd be probably hard-pressed to believe it. Let me ask you this. This will be a little easier. How many have room for some work? Yeah. So we're not yet as we should be? I tried to grade myself, and I didn't know if the grade I thought I would get is a consequence of me being too hard on myself or a consequence of great inflation. I wasn't sure which it was going to be. So I was thinking, I don't know, B minus maybe, but that might be great inflation. C plus maybe because I'm too hard on myself. I don't know what my grade is. I do some better on some than others. So we're not yet as we should be. Is that what we're saying? It, it says rough and exercise as we take it as seriously as we take it. If we don't take it seriously, we can blow it off. But if we take seriously what it is our Lord expects of us, then it's kind of, then it might be convicting. But folks, that's how we are to be. Living in peace with each other. Never accommodating the disruptive. Encouraging this, the disheartened. Helping the weak being patient with everyone without exception, never paying back wrong for wrong, doing what is good for each other regardless of how they are to us, rejoicing always, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances, listening to the Spirit, heeding the inspired word, holding on to what is good and rejecting every kind of evil. These are not optional behaviors for the followers of Jesus. We don't get to pick 10 out of the 15. But folks, listen, imagine the church fully fulfilling this instruction. What a little bit of heaven on earth it would be. Can we imagine that? So how'd you do? How'd we do? We have some room for some work, evidently. Well, I've got some good news for us. Guess who, can, guess who can pull this off? Guess who can make this happen? Not us, obviously. 
So the response to this instruction should not be, boy, do I have a lot of work to do. I mean, that would be an all right response, but that's not, that's not the last response. And the response to this instruction should not be, these are impossible and I'm not even going to try. That is not the response to this. Because as I said, I've got good news for us. Guess who can do this? Guess who can make this happen? Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote next in this letter he wanted everyone in the church to hear. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Folks, after the Apostle Paul gave instruction as to how every follower of Jesus Christ was to be, living in peace with each other, never accommodating the disruptive encouraging the disheartened, helping the weak, being patient with everyone, never paying back wrong for wrong, doing what is good for others regardless, rejoicing always, praying constantly, giving thanks in all circumstances and listening to the Spirit and heeding the inspired word and holding on to what is good and rejecting every kind of evil. This is what he wrote. This is what he prayed. The God of peace would do that work in them. The God of peace could do that, would sanctify them through and through entirely, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, so through and through, so entirely, so completely that their whole spirit, soul, and body would be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't our work alone. This is the Lord's work in us. Concerning living in peace with each other, he said, God was faithful. He will do that for you. Never accommodating disruptive or argumentative or God could do that. Encouraging the disheartened. God can give you the ability to do that. He is faithful. He'll do it. Helping the weak. God could help you do that. Being patient with everyone. This is God's work in us. Never paying back wrong for wrong. That would only takes God to do that. Doing what is good for each other regardless of how they are for you. God will help you do that. He will sanctify you such that you will do that. Rejoicing always and praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances. That being God's will means that God will do that for you, in you. And listening to the Spirit, He can make us hear the Spirit. Heeding the inspired word and holding on to what is good and rejecting the evil. God is faithful, says the Apostle Paul, and he will do it. So we don't wring our hands and we don't say what losers we are. No. Our response to, to our assessment is, Lord, would you accomplish in me what you are calling from me? Would you do this work in me? Our God is more than willing to do in us what he calls from us. And what he needs from us is not, I'm going to try harder. What he needs from us is confession, acknowledgement of our need for him to do this work. Imagine if God's people were this way without dissimulation, living in peace with each other, never accommodating disruptive, argumentative, or those who are divisive. 
encouraging the disheartened, helping the weak, being patient with everyone, never paying back wrong for wrong, doing what is good for each other, rejoicing always, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances, and listening to the Spirit, and heeding the inspired word, and holding on to the good, and rejecting every kind of evil. Our response to this is, O oh Lord, sanctify me through and through. Sanctify me through and through. That's our response to this instruction that the Apostle Paul insisted, mandated, be read in every church. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnet, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.